For discussion purposes, let's say you like Cheetos, and someone presents you with a bowl of crunchy or a bowl of puffy, which one are you gonna choose? Go ahead, raise your hands at home. I'll count from here. Actually, I probably don't have to count from here. I went to Sendix Town Center and to the Pick and Save at Capitol and Calhoun. In both cases, uh, Frito-Lay uh, devotes about twice as much shelf space to crunchy as to puffy. So I think that probably means most people are voting crunchy. As did the Apostle Paul, by the way, which we will get to momentarily. First, I want to do a commercial for next week's sermon. So if you are listening to this on the podcast or watching it on video, um, uh, next week what we're going to do is we're going to do a question and answer session at the sermon. And in person, you know, that's pretty easy to do. People raise their hands, can ask questions about the Bible, about faith, about unity, about anything going on in the world uh, or in our collective lives together. We try to answer as many of them as we can. I'm doing the, the, this next week as well, or I'm doing the sermon next week as well. Uh, however, online it's a little different, right? Uh, so if you happen to watch or listen to this before February 1st, 2024, you can send us a question by text or email, call it in, send it to me, send it to Pastor Muriel, send it to Lynn or Nancy in the office, and if you get it to us before 1 p.m. Central Standard Time, February 1st, uh, 2024, hopefully we can utilize it in next week's recording, and actually it'll be really fun to be able to do that uh, through this particular medium. So send in your questions and we will answer them as a part of next week's sermon. Now we're back to the Cheetos analogy, which has something to do with today's first lesson. I should also say for those of you especially listening on the podcast version of this, you might want to at some point read 1 Corinthians chapter 8, and you might want to read uh, Mark chapter 1. Those are uh, where this week's readings come from. Uh, if you're at home and watching on the video, you might want to look at those either in your Bible or in this week's bulletin. All right, let's continue on. So um, uh, imagine you're cleaning out a relative's house, and, 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 and they're gone. And so it's, it's sad, but it also is filled with all these reminders of them. And let's say you find uh, some correspondence that they were a part of. And, and you read it, and it's really fascinating to see what the person wrote to your relative. But what's missing? Chances are you don't have what your relative wrote to the other person. You have only half of the conversation in a sense, and so you have to kind of guess at what your relative might have written to the other person. This is one of the basic issues with biblical interpretation in our New Testament, where half of the New Testament is composed of correspondences from early leaders in the faith community to Christian churches. The thing is, we have what the, what the church leaders wrote, particularly the Apostle Paul, but we don't have what the congregations wrote or asked them in return. We can only guess at that, and sometimes it's really hard to guess. Fortunately, the Apostle Paul, who writes today's first lesson, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, he does a really good job of kind of rephrasing what uh, his congregations asked and then answering that. And that's especially true in today's first lesson, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, where Paul begins the, the chapter by saying, now concerning food offered to idols. So apparently that's the topic area that the Corinthians had raised, and then uh, he is going to provide a response to that. And the next thing he writes is, now remember, knowledge puffs up, but uh, love builds up. 
And, and so from the very beginning, Paul kind of lays out where he's going to be coming from. Now, if you actually look at the chapter, if you look at verse 1, Paul quotes what apparently the Corinthians had said to him, and he does that again uh, down in, in verse 8. And, and so the basic situation that he's encountered is, is that, you know, he was traveling throughout the Roman Empire, which was still polytheistic. And, and so uh, how it worked in any community, really, that he would have visited, which would have been large cities, is that there were all of these temples to various gods. Judaism of the time did this as well. And in all of those places, animals would be sacrificed as an offering to God. Now, uh, I think one of the things we misunderstand about that is that we imagine someone bringing a, a goat or a lamb or a dove or even an ox to be sacrificed, and we think, well, they like burn the whole thing on the altar. That's not how it worked. Uh, maybe 1% of the time that's how it worked, but usually how it worked was uh, they would slaughter the animal, they would butcher the animal, a choice cut would be burnt on the altar, but 99% of the animal would be sold in the market operated by that temple and the, and the proceeds used to support the work of the temple. In other words, it was kind of their stewardship program. And, and so then you can see the, the, the religious and, and kind of moral ethical problem this created for the early Christians in that the only place they could really buy meat would be at all of these markets, but did that then mean that they supported uh, this pagan polytheistic worship? Did it mean that they actually kind of still did believe in these various gods? Or because they believed in Jesus, because they believed in one true God, because they were secure in that, they didn't have to worry about what the temple believed. They just wanted to buy their sirloin steak or their hamburger or whatever it might be. From the things that Paul quotes from them, it's very clear that the Corinthians, at least some of them, believed that they were at liberty to do whatever they wanted. They didn't believe in the gods. They didn't believe in the work of the temple. Of course they could buy the meat. It said nothing about their faith in Jesus Christ. They were very secure in that. Paul, however, disagrees a little bit with that. Hence his opening line, knowledge puffs up, love builds up. And the basic argument he made back to the Corinthians is, you are correct. You do, you do have knowledge. You do understand that the gods don't exist and that there's no moral implication for you of buying the meat. But your decision isn't about just you. Your liberty isn't just given to you for yourself. Uh, what you do as a follower of Jesus Christ is observed by others. And when others observe it, they're influenced by it. And in, in verses uh, uh, 9 and 10 in particular, Paul really makes this case where he says, hey, you may understand it, but if somebody else who's just trying to figure Jesus out sees you buying the meat, eating the meat, they're probably going to come to the conclusion that, that you believe in those gods or that you support what they do and, that, and, and therefore they will misunderstand Jesus and his uniqueness and his love and his power in their lives will be lost on them and, and they will in a sense be, be, be um, unable to fully be embraced by Jesus' love. And so Paul ends the chapter by saying, uh, if, if me eating meat is going to cause even one person to, to, to not come to Jesus or to get off course, then, then I'll just never eat meat. Uh, I'm not going to use my liberty for myself and, and cause it, have it cause harm for somebody else. And that's a powerful teaching uh, moment by Paul. 
but it's a hard one to sell in our world, right? We live in a super individualistic culture uh, where we are very much about me and making decisions that are good for me and, and, and for my long-term future. And, and some of that's good. Uh, some of it is important to set uh, boundaries and plans around ourselves. But we way overdo it in our culture. We way, way overdo it in our culture. And, and we become very self-absorbed uh, and we become very selfish uh, on a whole. And, and we use our liberty uh, for ourselves but often to the disadvantage of others. And Paul says, if you ultimately have to choose your own agenda or that of your neighbor, that's what love is. You, you try to love your neighbor at least as well as yourself. Now, lest you think, by the way, the specifics of, of how you use your purchasing power as a faith issue, as, as a 2,000-year-old thing, you realize it's a very common thing. Um, uh, boycotts of various things on the basis of faith have been a big part of, of recent history. The, uh, the bus boycotts made a difference against segregation in the South in the 1950s. They made a huge difference in, in overcoming the apartheid legal segregation system uh, in, in South Africa in the 1980s and 90s. On the other hand, uh, they don't always work. I, I think sometimes because they end up being more about me than about others. So, for example, how many of you have, uh, again, I'll, I'll count your hands as I look into the camera. How many of you have ever uh, eaten at Chick-fil-A? Okay. How many of you have shopped at Target? Now, what those two places have in common is they've both been boycotted recently by different ends of the Christian spectrum. Uh, the, the Christian Right has boycotted Target because of uh, some of their merchandising to LGBTQ people. And some people on the left have boycotted uh, Chick-fil-A because of their ownership and the theology uh, perhaps against LGBTQ people uh, in the Chick-fil-A tradition. Uh, neither of those boycotts has been particularly effective. Uh, in part because, let's face it, most people don't care that much. Most people like the cow ads or they like the Target dog ads. Most people like the chicken sandwich. Most people like the cheap chic at, at Target. Uh, and so most people haven't been affected by it. But I think the other thing that maybe goes on with, with, with boycotts um, uh, such as that is that uh, the boycotts are done to change somebody else's behavior and, and most of the Christian, and, and when you get enough people motivated by a profound evil like, like apartheid in South America, then, in South Africa, then you can change behavior over time. But most of the time, a lot of recent boycotts have been, uh, you know, a bunch of people, but not a ton of people decide, well, we're going to boycott this because we're going to change somebody else. And usually out of almost a sense of meanness or vindictiveness, we're going to get them because of their stance on that. And, and... And, you know, Jesus teaches us, you gotta, you got to start with yourself. And, and, and then, you know, your behavior of goodness and light is what spreads. Your behavior of, of scolding and chastising, that, that doesn't gain a lot of disciples for Jesus. But behavior of goodness and light, of, of choosing to use your purchasing and investing power and your life priorities, uh, to work towards goodness, that, that does matter, and people do see that over time. Here's another example of that. Uh, today's gospel lesson comes from Mark chapter 1. 
throughout Mark chapter 1, and we're going to read Mark all this year, but we have four straight weeks in Mark chapter 1 where time and again it is noted that Jesus came, hit the road running to preach and teach amongst the people. But if you want to know what Jesus preached and taught, you'd have no idea what it is based on chapter 1. The other thing Jesus does while he preaches and teaches is what? He heals. And do you want to know about his healings? That's all over the place in Mark chapter 1. We get the details of Peter, mother-in-law's fever and how Jesus heals her. We get the details of how someone is, is crippled and Jesus heals them. We get the details of how people's spirits are, what in that world was understood as demon-possessed, and how Jesus heals them. In other words, the, the details of healing are all over the place in that chapter. Because there's some awareness that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Knowledge is a good thing. I'm all about knowledge. We can't get enough of it in our world. But, but um, I think there's a, a saying that says you can't get people to act differently unless they think differently. And they won't think differently if they don't feel differently. And they won't feel differently if they don't know that they are first loved and respected by you. It always starts with love and respect. And, and Jesus understood that. As much as he taught and preached in Mark chapter 1, the most important thing was that he healed and he walked with people in their dis-ease. He met them where they were at and he did not judge that or put that down, but instead he brought good news to their lives, respect to their souls and healing to their bodies and spirits. This is our mission in Jesus Christ. One last little application of that to this particular congregation in the months to come. At our, our services this weekend in person, uh, we will bless and commission our call team, which is tasked with the job of, of calling two pastors to replace Muriel and myself. This is a job that might take them three months and it might take them 15 months. We have no idea. Uh, we are all praying that they will call uh, people who are, are blessed matches for this congregation and hopefully uh, in some sense better than, than, than John and Muriel, what, whatever that may mean. Uh, but you always want that. You always want uh, the better for everything. And, and so the thing about that is that there will, of course, be process, and there will, of course, be details to all of that. But the way it will work best is if that call team, and, and by the way, it's a really good call team. It, it represents our congregation as a whole, and I'm so thankful to everybody who applied for it. We could only use half of you. Everyone who applied would have been a blessing on that team. Um, but they will, they will do their job best if they can meet candidates where they're at, not hoping for them to be John or Muriel or better than John or Muriel, though I just said that, but, but just that they will meet those candidates where they're at and love and respect them for the, who they are. And, and that someday when those candidates arrive here that they will love this congregation and respect you for who you are, and that you will be able to do the same for that call team and for the candidates that they ultimately recommend to you. Uh, ultimately, the, the process will be imperfect and imprecise. You might be done in three months, but end up with a bad candidate. You might be done in 15 months and end up with the best of candidates. I mean, we have no idea. But if everybody um, recognizes the importance of process and the importance of knowledge, but, but starts first with love and respect and the, and the awareness that love is what builds up, then, then we will be fine. We will be fine.
We are in the season of epiphany, people. Epiphany reminds us that, that Jesus' identity is revealed to us time and again by what he preaches and teaches, but especially by how he touches people's lives. But the season of epiphany is also for our sense of, aha, I get it, it's finally been revealed to me. May you have a season filled with revelations and epiphanies. May something inside you say, aha, I, I get it with my brain, but more importantly, my priorities, my life and decisions respected by the love and respect I share with my neighbors as myself. May that all be true for you. And by the way, I would agree with those of you who voted for Crunchy. Uh, my epiphany all along has been Crunchy's best. How does that sound across the audio? <laughs> May the people of God recognize and say, aha, Jesus and his spirit and his love are in our midst. May it be so, hey, done.